Welcome to another pint with Sean E.B. I'm looking out over LAX airport from a guy's office who it looks like he's the air traffic controller here. He is a very famous advertising man in America and has been for the last two going on three decades. His business is called David and Goliath. He's the David. His name is David Angelo. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, man. Before we start, there's not going to be a Goliath who walks in as some big giant partner of yours, is there? No, 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 no. It's so funny because uh, whenever we meet a new client, they always say, okay, you're David, who's Goliath? Yeah. And I tell them that depending on the day, it's either the marketing challenge or my wife. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, you know, my wife told me to say that, you know, so I should give her credit for that. But the Goliath is a real part of this company. Right? Absolutely. Tell me about it. Absolutely. Well. I think in, in order to tell you that, I got to go back to how it all began. Okay. And I, I was a kid growing up in upstate California in a town called San Leandro, middle class blue collar neighborhood. And my dad was a, a Teamster truck driver, and he was also a highly decorated war veteran, a Marine. He uh, also suffered from PTSD, and so needless to say, it was it was a very challenging. Um, environment to grow up as a kid and there is this voice that always would sort of take care of me this voice on the inside that would just say don't worry you're going to be okay just go into your challenges and so I've always believed in that voice and I've always believed that challenges are a fact of life and if I take them head on I'll be better off for it so that's where that came from and and so throughout my life I've had these big audacious challenges, whether it's getting kicked out of high school or being a teamster for 10 years, you know, I was sort of working my way through life trying to figure out what I wanted to do. So this inner voice you're talking about, was it, was it a, a, you know, kind of a, as a child, because your father had PTSD, was he a Vietnam veteran? No, Korean. Korean. Yeah. Was that part of the, the problems that you had, that your father's illness yeah. was, was... Yeah, it was, it was just tough, you know, growing up in a, a you know, it was like a war zone. Right. You know, right. and, and when the more I understood what he went through, mm -hmm. the more I was able to sort of uh, make peace with all the noise. Were you the oldest? In your I was the middle. middle. I was okay. number four. They used to call me three up, three down. <laughs> <laughs> so I was... You can often get lost in there. You can get lost in there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but growing up in that environment, it really taught me so many things uh, about life at a very young age. We didn't have a lot of money, so I kind of made the best of it. I, w I was really scrappy. I had two paper outs. I used to wash cars, mow lawns, get golf balls out of the lake, sell them back to the, the golfers. I mean, I did anything and everything to try to make some money to either, you know, help, you my, to escape? help my family out or whatever. I wasn't trying to escape so much. I was just listening, listening to that voice. And that voice is always been there for me. I've realized that the voice was there when I screwed up, the voice was there when I had to make a decision, and every time I listen to that voice, it's the voice of reason or Conscience. your soul, your gut, whatever you want to call it, your higher self, every time I listen to that voice, something amazing happens. Were you smart in school or was... No. No. No, I screwed up. I was like, I was pretty bad. <laughs> the voice also told me that my creativity would take care of me. And okay. so I had this sort of like confidence that everything was going to be okay. 
So were you good at art or writing? I was very good at art, okay. yeah. I was kind of like the school artist, but not like great at math or writing yeah. or any of that other stuff. So so what happened when you left school? What, what did you do? You said you became a teamster. How did that happen? Yeah, I got kicked out of high school a right. month before graduation. Oh, no. It was over a stone. That wouldn't have gone down well. In the no, 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 no. <laughs> in fact, up on my wall right there is the, is the uh, piece of paper from the... The, the, the letter? Yeah, the letter you kicking me out. Why were you kicked out? It's Come on. crazy shit, man. <laughs> Let's just say there was a stolen car. Oh, no. Some drugs oh. and all this other stuff involved. But, but, and you're what, 16, 17? Yeah, yeah, just, just crazy. And so I got kicked out of high school. My dad got me a job in the Teamsters. I was working for Local 853, the graveyard shift. and I Packing trucks or something? Yeah, yeah, I was working for a spirit company called Seagram's. I know Seagram's. And so I was pulling orders for local liquor barns. And during that time, I was like 18, 19. I was the lowest guy on the seniority list. I was getting in fights. I was like, I mean, I was right there picketing. I was part of the whole Teamster life. And I did that for, for 10 years. But during that time, I'd say like year number three, the voice came back and said, you're better than this. I listened to it and I thought, okay, so what, what do I do? The voice said, give 100% of your heart and soul. And that's what I've been doing ever since. So on the sort of conveyor belts, I used to study. I had determined at that point that I want to get back into career the field, but this time I wanted to do something that was a little bit more marketable, something a little bit more, I didn't want to paint for a living, I wanted to mm. create. What uh, sort of art did you do? Were you graffiti? And graffiti, like right. yeah, totally. I've, I'm big into graffiti and also I used to do murals on cars and murals right. on walls at school okay. and stuff like that, but I knew that wasn't going to help me make a living. Mm. And so I got into advertising. And I would sit there on the on the conveyor belts with my Ad Week and Ad Age magazines that I still have here, I did that. and I would just um, study them, man. Yeah. I would just study them. Just a highlight pen. Yeah, me too. Magazine. You know, and I had this 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 big Samoan guy used to work with me. He was an ex cop who um, got busted for heroin, and you know ended up going to prison for a while. And then my dad introduced him to me when he got out, and he said, "Can you get him a job?" And I said, "Yeah, he could work right alongside me." And so he would he was working right alongside me, and he'd say, "David." I can, I can do the job of two people. Why don't you just study? Wow. And I will take care of everything else. And How he cool did that for that? me. Yeah, and so I studied, I studied. I just used to you know, do layouts on cases and as I went down the conveyor belt. But I owe everything to this guy because he was a, what you call a Rosicrucianist, which is a, a different type of religion. Right. And the two of us would just like talk about life, talk about energy, talk about who we really are mm-hmm. as opposed to being David. What became of him? He died. Oh. He died. And when I moved to when I moved to New York for a job in advertising, I heard that he was he had cancer, and then I came back to see him one last time, and it was a pretty um, you know pretty tough experience, you know. But he always imparted great wisdom to me, helped me realize who I am, and and making sense of that voice on the inside. Yeah, I kind of owe so much to him yeah. because it was it was along uh, a path when I was, you know, I was pretty much uh, spiraling down, and he was kind of a beacon. It's a common thing in a lot of the chats I have with people who sort of have one moment or one person that enters their life that kind of just on that dime the whole thing kind of changes. It's a tipping. Yeah. It's a tipping point. Tipping, yeah, or a moment that. Yeah, just... it's up to you to realize that. Once you realize that, and you and you understand that people in your life for a reason, good or bad, then it's up to you to learn what the role is. Are they are they there to teach you a lesson? Yeah. And and I believe that wholeheartedly. I believe we're all here to sort of learn from each other and teach lessons. So, quite a lot of it with me was like a kind of a hindsight, though. It, it was you got you kind of look back a little bit, not necessarily from this 
distance, but from maybe five years later. You go, yeah. Oh, that was a really cool thing he did. Or that was, if, if totally. It wasn't for that person, I wouldn't be, you know what I mean? It, Absolutely. A lot of it's luck as well, you know. Just It is being, being in the right place at the right time, but I... I really believe that everything in life happens for a reason, right. you know, that you're here for a reason, that I'm in this office for a reason, that yeah. the people that are outside my office are here for a reason. And accepting that as a truth enables you to sort of look at that differently and say, all right, let's do this. Let's get together. Let's create something great. Let's teach each other lessons along the way. And you also have to have the ability to let go of failure, let go of guilt, let go of your past, look of all the shit that, you know, sort of drags you down. I call it the life junk. Mm. And if you can do that, then then you start stepping into who you really are, which is that ultimately is that voice yes. on the inside. You got to New York. What made you go to New York and how did you, how, how did it all happen? Somebody sent me a postcard that read, do what you fear, watch it disappear. And I put it on my refrigerator and I, and I thought, man, what a cool statement. I mean, it's kind of pretty simple. You just have to do it. And so when I graduated from college, I graduated with a degree in advertising. I looked at my refrigerator and I was thinking about where to go to next. I could either stay in San Francisco and work at one of the great agencies there or take on my biggest fear, which was New York. And New York at the time was, you know, it's a city that had this really tough reputation. It was back in the Telly Savalas, Kojak <laughs> and Hill Street Blues yeah, days yeah, yeah. when all you ever heard about it was killing, killing yeah. you know, Central Park jogger, all yeah. that stuff. And, and so I looked at it and I thought to myself, I, I don't know anyone in New York. It's a city that is so big and, and so intimidating. And I thought to myself, if I go there, then I'm doing what that card says and I'm just gonna go all in. And I've always been the type of person who goes all in. I remember um, going there with my college partner because the two of us were going as a team and we ended up at some a friend of a friend's apartment in Harlem and we were overlooking it was three o'clock in the morning. It was my first experience with New York. And we're overlooking the Central Park in the city and it was all lit up. And I just looked at it and I said, I'm going to kick your ass. I'm going to fucking go all in. And so that's what I did. I, three years working there at DDB. I had the same thing with fear because I look back and I go, the things that, I, that scared me most that I did were the most important things. Right? And at the time, they were quite terrifying. But like three years later, you go, what was I afraid of? Exactly. Like, yeah. And why do you hold on to that? Yeah. You know? Because the longer you hold on to that, that's just wasted energy, wasted, wasted yeah. life. So that's why I ended up in New York. And that's when I, I worked at DDB. And I had always dreamed of working for Doyle Dane. I used to have so DDB is Doyle Dane, where I'm back famous creative director called Bill Birnbach, who's probably one of the greatest ever ad men. The greatest. So They're very famous for doing the Volkswagen uh, commercials, uh, especially great print work in the 60s and 70s, early 70s. I remember going to that interview and there was a wall of ads of all the great ads from DDB. Yeah. And those were the ads that I had pinned up in my bedroom, yes, with, yeah. you know, right above my drafting yeah. table while I was going through college. Yeah. And so I thought to myself, holy fucking shit. How did this happen? I'm here. I'm here. Yeah. And then check this out, man. This is going to blow you away. So the first thing I worked on was Seagram's Crown Royal. Okay. And, and so we created this You've huge... packing them two months previously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we created this campaign for Crown Royal. I actually have it on my wall up there. It's right. like this big bottle, 16-foot bottle that we put on billboards. And I remember we won a bunch of awards for it. And, uh, oh, I see it, yeah. And the head of Seagram's, a guy named Joseph McInerney and Brofman, 
invited our agency, the creatives, to come up to the Seagram's Tower in New York so they could have a, a roast to all the work that we created. And I remember I was like standing next to the CEO and I said, you're not going to believe this, man, but I used to be a teamster and I used to drive a forklift truck. And I remember crashing the forklift truck. They wanted to fire me. In fact, they suspended me and they told me I was a worthless piece of shit. And now here you are honoring me with, with for these awards. And, and he looked at me like I was crazy, but... But within a year, this all happened. Yeah. Or a couple of years. Like. And along the way, I think it's just an overall appreciation for your journey. Every time that something like that would happen, whether it was that or just the experience of working at DDB or working with President Clinton, those things, I would just step back and look at it and go, how is this happening? Yeah, yeah. And the voice, that voice that's always been with me, would just say, keep going. Yeah, yeah. And so I just kept going. I had the same thing like when I was very young, my first job, because I, I didn't go to college either. I, went, I did a little bit of an ad course, but I started working at sort of 18 in mm-hmm. Ogilvy. But one of the great things that one of the guys did for me was they put me out with you know, a Wrigley, we, we had Wrigley's, a Wrigley rep who had to go yeah. driving all around to the shops, a Tato guy, Tato Chips, and he, the, he, I'd help him load his truck at 5 a.m. and go around, a tire guy, a tire factory tour, and you just got this... Wow, I'm in a very lucky and privileged position to right. be in this ad agency right. because these guys were really nice and smart yeah. and educated. Yeah. And they'd be driving the trucks telling me what they would be doing with the ads, you know, and I was only a nipper, but I learned a lot. I love I love that. Well, that's but that's your journey. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, and yeah. and if you could if you could step back and look at that and you'll find like bits of knowledge tucked away in that journey totally right that you'll just you'll pull, pull out, out of nowhere yeah, yeah you'll yeah. pull out and you'll say holy shit I mean this is how I can use this to build an agency yeah. you know and so I, that philosophy of I, I was like a junior art director just starting off at DDB I would walk around to all of the big CDs and just knock on their door and say, can I do anything for you? Can I draw? Can I do a storyboard for you? Everybody thought I was crazy. But I was so determined to take in as much of the history. I wanted to learn so much from... Soak it up. Yeah, Yeah. soak it up from all of the legends that were there. I I just felt so privileged and humble at the same time. I felt like, holy shit, how did I get here? And I was so determined to make the very best of it because... I knew that I screwed up earlier in life and this was my only shot. How was your old man at this stage? Was he proud of you then? My dad, absolutely. He was a, he was a huge, huge fan. He's passed since, but um, I don't think he ever got a sense of what I did. He was a big Michelin tire fan because he was a truck driver. One thing yeah, yeah, check this out. You're going gonna, to gonna love this. So he came out to New York with my mom and they came into my office at DDB. They were looking for my artwork. They're like, where's your artwork, honey? Where is it? And and I was thinking to myself, oh my God, they only know me as a someone who knows how to draw. Yeah. They're not going to understand the advertising world. If I show them a layout, they're not going to yeah. look at that and go, oh my God, you're, you're great. <laughs> so, so I showed them a storyboard I was doing for Michelin, because we had Michelin yeah. count. And my dad was the biggest Michelin freak. And all of a sudden, his eyes lit up. You've made it, son. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then no, check it out. And then a friend of mine that I grew up with in high school said, hey, your dad came by the because he was working at this tire shop. And he goes, your dad came by to retread his, his Michelins. And I asked him about you. And he said, oh, my son, David, he works for a high-tech advertising firm. He designs the tires for Michelin. <laughs> and I thought, man, I thought that was so cool. From that point on, I never tried to explain what I did no. for a living. I was just happy that he was proud of me. Yeah. And, and so, to his credit, PTSD is, is not an easy thing. When you understand the depth 
of that, which I really don't think there is a depth. I think it just it's it's infinite of what they experience. And what my father was able to do later on in his life, because he found religion, religion really helped him separate the horror that he experienced. Because he, ex- he was two Purple Hearts, man. I mean, he went through some horrible, horrible shit. And there was a watershed moment for me and my father. I think it was in 92. I was taking him to Alaska for a fishing trip because right. he loved the fish. Yeah. And so the two of us were going fishing right. together. And, uh, you know, it was a moment on the plane when we were flying. And, you know, I wanted to ask him, just ask him, what was my childhood all about? And before I, could, before I could even get into that, he started to talk about his experience in the war, which he never shared with me. And he talked about this person that he had killed that he hasn't been able to get out of his head for the longest time. Yeah. And I just looked at him as if he was an 18-year-old kid explaining the story. Yeah. And it was at that moment that I realized that it was less about seeking forgiveness, but more about forgiving myself. You know? And once that shift happened, then my journey of being true to who you are really started to take shape. Mm-hmm. That, that in life, we're dealt these a ton of different challenges, and it's really up to us it's all about how we handle those challenges. We can, we can look at it and, and, and freak out. We can look at it and, and run away from them. Or we can look at them as an opportunity to grow. Right. And that whole shift started to happen for me. And you make a lot of mistakes along the way. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I certainly made a ton of mistakes in life. But I really believe that you know, from that point on, I was at Team One. And then I got a call from Cliff Freeman. And I found the place that I always wanted to work for which was the most awesome place in the world, working for Cliff for five years. And so, so again, Cliff Freeman, for those not in the ad business listening, was another very, very successful ad firm from you know 80s, 90s. Uh, and Cliff Freeman was, again, another legendary ad guy, who I actually never met and don't know enough about. He's that. awesome, man. I actually did, had the opportunity to freelance him this past really? year, which <laughs> was pretty crazy, yeah. you know, because it was kind of the roles were reversed. But uh, um, working there was unreal because all of a sudden I am in this room with who I consider the greatest, one of the greatest advertising legends, mm-hmm. right next to Lee Clow and, yeah. and, and Burnback. And I'm like learning from him, working with him, shooting with him, writing with him. And then all around us are the most talented people that I've ever worked with. Yeah. And it was just to be in that, in that environment. It was less about this is mine versus uh, versus yours. It was like we ours, all, yeah. yeah, it was ours. We all worked together to, to, to make great work. And after five years, I won like a ton of awards. And then at a certain point, I just thought to myself, there has to be more than this. And that's when I just quit, <laughs> quit my job. And Cliff was like, David, why are you leaving? And everybody was asking why I'm leaving. And if my dad ever heard that I was that I left a job where I was making so much money. So much money, because yeah. he only made like 30000 a year yeah. for his entire life. He'd think I was crazy. But I, I knew there was something more. And, you know, I'd worked at the big agencies and small boutiques, worked for some of the best people in the world. But I felt like even though I worked for those places, I never got a sense of what they stood for. Because it changes from time yeah. to time, depending on the day. Depending on the clients. Yeah. yeah. And so I quit, and I was I was in Soho with this recruiter named Susan Kirschenbaum. And we're sitting down having drinks and she laid out on the table all these different options. She goes, you can go here, you can run this agency, you can work with this person. 
And I said, I don't want to do any of that. I just know that there's something else that I need to do that's much bigger. And she said, well, I have a feeling it's going to present itself to you. And sure enough, I get a call from one of my best friends who said, hey, you know what? There's a small car company in L.A. in Irvine called Kia Motors, Mm -hmm. and they really want to talk to you about starting your own agency. And I thought, holy fucking shit. And I got on the phone. That rarely happens. Yeah, yeah, it rarely (laughs) happens. Rarely happens. And, you know, I got on the phone with them, and I said, well, do I have to leave New York? Because I absolutely love New York. You know, Mm -hmm. it's kind of entrenched in, in New York. And they said, well, if you don't, we're in Irvine. It's going to be a long commute for you. And so I packed up my my wife, my daughter, my you know everything. We moved out here to L.A. 17 years ago, and I was just really determined not to just be another ad agency because the world, you know, the world yeah. has enough ad agencies. Yeah. I wanted to create a a company that was more of a mindset, you know, something that would enable me to live my brand, my truth of who I am, of being a scrappy challenger and inspire others to do the same and that's that's when David and Goliath was born because it comes out of who I am as a person and I've always believed that when you live your truth a it's the easiest thing to remember so if you're living your truth you are for the most part telling your story living your story you're really doing what you love and you know the deal about that, right? You, you never work a day in your life when you do what you love. I agree with that. You I know? mean, I, I, so David and Goliath was launched in 1999. Yeah. Is that right? On the back of uh, the Kia Motor Camp. Very good fortune to be able to launch an agency, right? Oh, my God. With a founding client like that. It, but, it, but you know what? It, it wasn't that easy. Oh, I, no, I don't say it's easy. But like, <laughs> yeah. It was cold it was, calling them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it yeah. was like... It was the wildest thing because it was a like you said before there's a certain amount of luck that comes into play but i believe that it's luck resilience perseverance it's passion it's all of these things that that sort of come together and 17 years of working on this brand i mean there i had worked on big more prestigious brands like lexus and volkswagen and to take on this challenge it felt like a, my father was connected to Korea, which was a, a big part of it. And I really wanted to help this little brand overcome yeah. its biggest challenges. Kia famous for uh, making the first bicycles. In, in That's Korea. right. Yeah. We have one of those bicycles have here, really? actually. Yeah. Okay. So the, the brand uh, has been one of the most, you know, it's probably, what, a four-share Five share. It's gone from being but not not even on the JD Power list correct. to like to yeah. like almost number Every one. Every year it grows, and uh, you, you know you can go back through all the way back to what we talked about earlier with Birnbach and Volkswagen, where yeah. you, where, you, where the clients that stick with one vision, person, agency, whatever it is, are probably the ones that you know looking back over twenty years are the most the brands with the most integrity. I really believe that you can. It all starts with authenticity. Everything in this world starts with... I heard a good quote that it was authenticity is the new bullshit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I always say, if you're going to be a phony, be a great one. All the way... Don't stop. Just keep being a great phony. Integrity is not honesty. Integrity is wholeness. Exactly. Integrity is just being who you are. Being who you are, man. You know, you can be weirdo, but like always be a weirdo. Yeah, totally. Just embrace it. If you're going to be a dick, go all in. You look at brands out there, and I always go to the top of the brand. Who is running the brand, right? And in order for a brand to live its authentic truth, well, then that person at the top 
needs to understand that, needs to live their authentic truth. Yeah. Only then can you inspire an authentic movement throughout I the agree. entire brand. I agree. And so most brand leaders out there are scratching their heads wondering why they can't, you know, why they're not relevant, why they're not as successful as they should be. It goes back to your core. Every single brand out there, regardless of their size, was a challenger brand at Once, some point, yeah. right? And it's going back to that belief system and just contemporizing your story so that you are relevant in today's times. Mm -hmm. And that takes a tremendous amount of courage. Yeah. You, you have to throw away a lot. It's what you don't say is probably that makes you, that gives you that kind of Occam's razor fine point. To Absolutely. I think that ultimately everything comes out of the truth and you just have to have the courage to continue that march and surrender the outcome. Because most people are so focused on the outcome the award or the raise or the bonus and I've always believed if you do the right thing everything else will follow so one of the things I would ask you because I've yabbered on in these podcasts a lot about my hatred for the way the corporate ad agency machine has just sort of driven away creative people driven away kind of fun driven away all this sort of stuff yeah how come you haven't flogged the place I'm really I'm really pleased you haven't how many offers have you had loads <laughs> Yeah, I'll get, I'll get a few here and there. <laughs> Are you going to? I'm never going to I'm not going to say I'm not, but I mean, right. I, I believe that first and foremost, if I was ever to partner up with anyone, it would have to be someone who shares the same values. Yeah. And, that's, and that goes for everything that we do from the type of clients that we work with. Mm -hmm. I, I always, it, it, I had this uh, interesting thing happen recently where uh, it was a chemistry check you know, with a potential client. And they stood across from me, you know, and they looked at me and they said, well, we're here to see if our, if you guys have the right chemistry for us. And I stood up and I said, well, you know what, we're actually here to see if you have the right chemistry for us. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they stood up, you know, like they set up, you know, and fixed their shirts and all that. First and foremost, if you know who you are, then you know your strengths already. And you cannot chase people who don't share your values. Right. If you do, then, then that's when you go off course. That's when you stop being who you are. And so I make sure that the, the type of clients that we go after are clients that, that share the same mindset, that anything is possible, that if you put your Goliath right in front of you and you put the right people in the room, that no Goliath is safe, that any type of, you know, any type of BHAG is, is possible. Yeah. And that's, that's why it's worked so well with Kia. That's why it works great with Jack and with the lottery and, and a few of our other clients. It's just being true to that. What about the idea, the, the old Jay Shire thing of, you know, I want to see how big we get before we get bad? Yeah. How are you stopping that? I, I, use that from, I use that constantly. Well, we have uh, a thing that we say around here. It's, it's all about careful growth. It's easy to get lured, you know, by a big brand that is going to provide a tremendous amount of revenue. But I just want to make sure that we stay true to who we are because the, the minute that we stop doing that is the minute that we're no longer relevant. And so selective growth, careful growth is what it's about. And protecting culture as well as... Culture is uh, everything. Lots of more people, it's harder, right? It is hard because... When, you grow, when you're growing your business, let's just say you bring on a big account, you have a certain amount of time to staff up. Yeah. And you don't have the luxury of hand-picking hand people. Yeah. You just have to... And that's when, that's when the culture starts to yeah. you know, shift. So we do a really good job of, first and foremost, establishing what is the filter for hiring people and, and clients. 
And it's all about brave. Brave is a very simple philosophy. Well, let me state our mission. Our mission is to help people and brands take on their Goliaths and step into their greatness. That's always been our mission. So if we become better people here, of course, we'll do better work. And of course, it'll be a better experience for our clients and for everybody else. We inspire each and everyone around here to take on their fears. And from the wall of Goliaths that we have right outside the, the lobby there, that where everyone frames their biggest Goliath, and, and we inspire them to take it on, and then we document it and house it on the site, to this um, nonprofit that we started called Today I'm Brave, which is kind of sweeping the nation, you know, sweeping the world. So it started in, in Sierra Leone, and there were 300 kids. Uh, we, we sent T-shirts called Today I'm Brave and these manifesto cards to 300 kids in a Ebola-stricken village of Sierra Leone. And what happened over six months was just nothing short of amazing. They adopted this philosophy. They created an educational uh, curriculum called the Brave Curriculum Mm -hmm. that inspired them to live their truth no matter what they were going through, Ebola, uh, disease, starvation, etc. They created a hand signal, like a thumb bobbing thumbs up hand signal as a way, anytime a challenge was coming their way, this was their signal to say that they, that they were going to take it on. It. Yeah. Exactly. And what happened to this village is that it, it kind of transformed them where they all of a sudden were coming out and talking about what makes them brave in ways that they had never done before. And so we thought like, oh my God, if, if we can change or, or create change 6,000 miles away, imagine what we could do for the rest of the world. So what we've done from there is we just launched it uh, a year ago and it's blown up. It, we're, we're working with social causes all around the world where people are basically sending in their videos about what makes them brave and inspiring others to do the same. So the link to this is at the in the blurb on the podcast. Uh, so you'll find you'll find uh, links to the to the to the website and to this brave new project. I like the idea of brave because it's actually brave itself. And, yeah. And I think that one of the things that you have with clients is you are constantly going into them saying, you know, you've got to set yourself apart from your competitors. You're actually a, even if you're the. I mean, I had the problem with Gillette. You know. Yeah. Even if you're the brand leader, you've got. If you're the brand leader, you've got to be pioneering new ways. Totally. They're just afraid. People are afraid to be brave. Why? Why are they afraid I, I to be brave? They're afraid to be brave because they think that if they're brave, it could backfire. So there's the misperception of brave, and it gets tossed around a lot in our business, which is kind mm. of crazy. It's like most people think brave is wacky. Yeah, or yeah, or or, or being like Mel Gibson and Braveheart, right. swinging blindly in the yeah, fray, yeah, 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 and okay. you know, you know, running down a hill, charging the the another army. Or they feel that it's about shoving work down a client's throat to try to make them buy something. That's, yeah. not, that's not brave. That's mm-hmm. just like some reckless act of yeah. adrenaline. Bravery, it takes a tremendous amount of courage to be true to who you are. Mm. That's it. Bravery is, is having the courage to be you. And you, when you look at brands today, you know when a brand isn't being true to itself. You, you're the first one to call bullshit on it, right? Yeah, yeah. You know when a friend's not being true to who they are because all they're trying to do is fit in or yeah. all they're trying to do is go along with what's, yeah. you know, what's, what's trending. Bravery is having that courage to be who you are. And that's scary, man. It's scary to know that you are super powerful beyond your belief. I think that's what frightens people. What frightens people is the their potential. Yeah. And so when you think about 
clients or people who are afraid to make decisions because they're afraid of fucking up or they're afraid of losing their job or whatever. I just have to go and look at the people who weren't afraid and what they were able to do because of that. I mean, I would say another thing about clients and, and the marketing business, it's brave to not change. That's, that's, you know what I mean? Yeah. When you talk about we've, we've already worked out who we are. Yeah. Just a new client comes in. I want my own ad campaign. But why I are, want my own tagline. But that. But see that. That that's a big problem that we have because it is, yeah. because that person isn't isn't being true to who they are no, or, or to or to their brand. Correct. So so what they're doing is it's a self serving agenda. Yes, it is. And that is. I'll be out of here in two years. But it, this is my campaign for Guinness. Exactly. You know, I, I got a new line. By the exactly. Way. Yeah. And that's somebody who lacks bravery because they're not being true to who they are. Yeah. That's what we're up against. I, I was telling somebody the other day that people destroy brands. People, leaders destroy brands. They come in and they throw the baby out with the bathwater because of their own personal interests, whether it's a golden parachute or or whatever, as opposed to going into the DNA of the brand and saying, this is the truth. And it takes courage to identify the truth and say, you know what? What you're doing is great. Yeah. As opposed to yeah. trying to come in and, and, and put your thumbprint on just for the sake of doing so. And I think it's harder today with just the sheer noise, the brands that actually consistently appear in front of us and say, ah, I can recognize you, I know what you're saying, but you're bringing something new to the party, but in your tone of voice or in your totally. way is exactly what we're talking about. Let's move off the ad business for a second. Talk to me a little bit about, you seem like a positive guy. Mm. What about your views on America, the world? We're on the, we're on the cusp when we're having this interview, probably will be probably appearing in 2017. We're just about to have a uh, election here in America next week. Yeah. Tell me what your views are on America, the world, bravery um, in that context, Goliaths. I believe that everyone has a Goliath, right? And they come in all shapes and sizes. I believe that what's happening right now in the world, when you look at it, it's just people people who are expressing their fear in one way or another. And what happens is, the reason why you express such fear is because, because you have very little or no self-awareness. Very little confidence or love for yourself. And it's growing exponentially. And it's not because the world is more fearful. It's because people have more platforms to express that fear right and <laughs> I was talking about this yesterday that that it's you know because of social media the fear in social media are growing at an exponential rate right 30,000 years ago you didn't hear about the dinosaurs that ate the village in China yeah. or the <laughs> Vikings that's that sing the village their, to Ireland. <laughs> yeah or, or whatever or yeah. the or the, all of the all of the people that were thrown off the, the temple in, in, Gua, in Guadalajara, you didn't hear about that. Yeah. You're hearing about everything now. And what's happening is that fear is feeding into fear. But what we need to understand is that you're always going to have fear no matter what, right? And we have a choice. We can either embrace fear or we can embrace love. And I believe that bravery gives you permission to release fear so you can embrace love because that's who you really are. And that's why I'm positive. It's because I know who I am. Right. And, you know, quite honestly, there are a lot of people that may not agree with me, but I'm okay with that. I'm not here to make everyone happy. I'm here to live my truth 
and inspire others to do the same. And that, to me, is what keeps me positive. My last question, what would you say to the young Tearaway if you went back and spoke to your younger self? I thought about that the other day, and I wouldn't change a thing because I look back at my roadmap and the things that I experienced, and I'm glad I got kicked out of high school. I'm glad I did. Had that not happened, I would be in a completely different position. I guarantee you, I wouldn't know the people that I know. I wouldn't know my wife, wouldn't be able to experience the beauty of my two daughters. I wouldn't have a company called David and Goliath. I wouldn't be talking to you right now. I believe that everything in your life happens for a reason. So if I were to go back to my younger self, I would just tell them, keep going, keep going. I think that's what told me when I was a kid, that's the voice that I've always followed. And I believe that when you figure out that that voice has never let me down, that voice has always been there for me. I mean, that is the voice of reason, that's the voice that says that you can, that's the voice that says you got this, that's the voice that says keep going. That is your gut. And I've never heard anyone ever say, I shouldn't have trusted my gut. So why not go with that voice? And so I would tell kids out there, go with your voice, man. Don't follow the trends. Don't, don't chase the money or the awards. Go find the mentors that you want to work for in yeah. life yeah. and be about that. Be true to who you are every, every single day. Use that as a filter for the people that you date, the friends you hang out with, and the company that you work for. And if you do that, you'll never work a day in your life. That's a great place to end it. The David Angelo, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy life. I think that was a very inspiring uh, chat we just had and a lot of lessons in there for everybody, no matter what your age. But uh, thank you very much. Best of luck with your ah, Thank you, brother. Thank you so much, man. Thank you.